the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and league, and get ad free exclusive content at your fingertips. For all of this and plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C and get 40% off your first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Giannetti. Little bit of basketball at the top here. Just a bit. Drama. More drama. In a couple of seconds. I'm going to not bury the lead on that one, even though you probably heard this story already. But I'm going to dive a little deeper. Back end of the show, what I like to call the annual NFL glossary episode. I'm going to run through as many terms, buzzwords that are applicable this offseason, this time, look, the tag window's open. And uh, I've got, you know, a dozen or so things that I want to just kind of break down for everybody, myself included, as a re- refresher for me. And, and, and anyone who has questions out there, hopefully this answers a few of them. If you have more, we're at Spotrek on Twitter. But it's a complicated, busy time of year. We've had restructures hit today. We've had some cap casualties hit a couple of days ago with the Chiefs. That's just the... Uh, the price to pay for a hard cap league that is constantly evolving. So back end of the show, I'm going to run through some definitions, some glossary returns, some buzzwords and, you know, void, void years and dead cap and the various types of free agency and whatnot. And, uh, try to un- un- uncover as much as possible there. As promised though, at the top of the show, a little NBA drama. I've been holding back on this Zion Williamson stuff for, about a month now, and Scott Allen and I internally have been having these discussions. And I didn't want to, you know, I, I, it's tough when a guy's injured, and he has been injured. He's been injured in various ways over the past, I don't know, four years now, ever since we saw that nasty sneaker incident with Duke. Um, you know, you got to tread lightly, no pun intended, with how this stuff goes, because some guys are just injury prone. I think you know, the way that he ran and the, and the amount of weight that he carried as just a freak athlete and maybe now a little bit overweight has just been a problem for his body physically, as we've seen so many times in the history of this sport with big men. So I'm, I'm not here to kill him, and I wasn't trying to kill him, but there was just something a little off on this one. And, you know, it had hints of John Wall, if you listen to our last show, which was, why is this guy just not here? <laughs> and, and whose decision is that? And why isn't this guy getting in front of a microphone as his, a microphone as his team basically you know, kind of storms its way back into the playing game conversation? I mean, this is not the worst team in basketball, despite his absence. You know, they, I thought they made some smart moves this past offseason. You know, Valanciunas is a real player. You know, they're 13 games under 500, so I'm, I'm giving them too much credit here. But they're not the worst team in basketball. Let's put it that way. And they'd be a hell of a lot better with Zion Williamson there, especially now with McCollum on board and what what looks like a decent starting five. But it just seemed like something was off. We had heard rumors that Zion was not with the team. Not only was he not with the team, he was in Portland at the Nike facility rehabbing whatever injury it was. And that was the other question mark. Why don't we know more about this injury? This is one of the biggest superstars in the league one of the top number one overall picks in the past, what, 25 years with LeBron maybe? Why don't we know more? This is a, <laughs> this is a transparent sports world now. 
it is very rare that we know we don't know everything about anything. So this smelled, it, it reeked. Scott and I have been going back and forth trying to figure out the right time to talk about this. So I'm kind of t- going on my own here and, uh, and throwing my two cents into this conversation because look, this franchise has gone through this before, whether it's injuries to their superstar, whether it's a superstar who may be embattled or flat out doesn't want to be here anymore. And, you know, I have a feeling that some of the moves that have been made over the past two years have rubbed Zion Williamson's camp the wrong way. He doesn't, he basically said, I'm giving you two years and this is me speculating. I'm giving you two years to figure this thing out or I'm going to start considering my other options. And New Orleans certainly listened. And I think they had a better off season, as I mentioned. And I think they had a, had a very strong trade deadline. But many of us read that trade deadline with McCollum and, and, and such as, man, they're really loading up to make Zion's situ, you know, return as great as possibly can be. And I think that was the natural read, which was let's just load up on pieces that we can put around Zion for the foreseeable future. And almost immediately, you know, McCollum's not talking to Zion. Zion hasn't talked to the team in X days. We started to look for, you know, official pictures of the last time Zion was actually with this team. Why hasn't he come out and said anything about this team or this organization or his injury or his desire to get back on the court with this team as soon as possible? All the things you're supposed to say when you're, a young superstar that's trying to make his way into this league. He did none of it. And he's done none of it. And, you know, him calling CJ McCollum after the fact as a retaliation, that doesn't do anything for this conversation. Here's what I think's going on. And again, purely speculation. He's been advised to slow play this process, maybe starting last year. Yes, there's an injury that nobody knows about. Nobody knows how it happened, the extent of it. Certainly the inner, you know, the innards of the New Orleans Pelicans know about it. But for some reason they're not disclosing that information. <laughs> they they completely bounce back and forth with us as to when he'll be back. They think he'll be back in 2 weeks and that's get pushed back to TBD. So there is either a huge disconnect between player and team or there is a huge agreement between player and team. And this is where I get to the point. If he's holding out, if he's slowly rehabbing because he wants to be 100% in, say, 18 months, and there's a larger plan at place, then my guess is the, the Pelicans and Zion have come to an agreement that this is going to happen. He's going to stay away from the team, but he's not going to sit on the bench and wear goofy T-shirts like Anthony Davis did. And the point of this is, and I'm sure Zion's camp was thrilled to bring this to the Pelicans and David Griffin, look, you can trade us now if you want, but we know that's probably not in your best interest because I cost nothing right now. I'm on a rookie contract. You know, my cap hit is peanuts. It's basically a mid-level exception in terms of what you're looking for in terms of of, of a pullback. And as we know with these NBA trades, they're salary matching. You know, his salary this year is $10.7 million. So it makes no sense for New Orleans at the trade deadline to move Zion Williamson and get back something around the $10 million mark, plus a boatload of picks. 
because this team already has the veterans in place that were supposed to be building around Zion. The fact that they, that they loaded up on McCollum, the fact that they loaded up on a couple of other pieces to go with Valentunas, now makes me believe that that is now the five or the four or at least a good three to take you into the 2022 offseason. And during that 2022 offseason, the Pelicans will extend Zion Williamson to what I believe is about five years and 180 plus and change. $31 million per year. I believe that's the going rate. Why would they do that? This guy doesn't want to be here. This guy, you know, is injury prone. It's not their contract. <laughs> They're doing this for the benefit of being able to trade him. Now, look, there's a poison pill attached to that extension. So this is not going to be a sign him in July, trade him in August. That's not how this is going to work. This is going to be months and months and months away. But I have a feeling that this is where we're headed. And I'm not saying he's not injured. And I'm not saying he didn't suffer a setback. And I'm not saying any of those things are incorrect or lies. But I think the level of injuries that he's suffered, and as I mentioned on the top, the, the physical specimen that he is, which is clearly leading to these injuries. You know, this one might have been non-contact for all we know. We know nothing. A lot of things have to change with Zion Williamson. But at the same time, he is also neglecting his team in every way possible. And there's no debating that. He is not talking about the Pelicans publicly. He is not informing us about his desire to be with the Pelicans publicly. He's not talking to Pelicans players. Behind the scenes, now we know. Former Pelicans players are now coming out and saying, hey, this is BS. And this guy's not even close to what we expected him to be as a human being. That's rough. I'm not going to say that. I don't know this guy. But I'm telling you right now, I don't think this has a happy resolution. I think this is an agreement already in place, which is go do what you got to do. That's why he's in Nike. The Pelicans want no part of this rehab. They don't want to know anything about it. Go with your team. Go with your camp. I'm sure they're not happy about this. But, you know, go to Portland with your, with your agents and your, and your PR people and fix yourself. Because, you know, this isn't a six-month recovery, clearly. And we'll sign that extension. And if you want to come back and play and showcase your talents a little bit with this new roster we built while you've been gone for two years, sure, as long as it doesn't affect your trade value. Because when the time comes, the agreement, the end of the agreement says, you know, we're going to get $30 million worth of players and a boatload of draft picks back for you. And that's just how we have to operate now. So I think we're there already. <laughs> and we are two and a half years into this rookie contract. It's unbelievable. It's unprecedented for a number one overall pick with his kind of clout, with his kind of potential. But, you know, I think it's not just he wants out. If I'm the Pelicans, this injury history, I can't afford this. They are not a franchise that is rich with superstars, nor are they going to be rich at any point in time with superstars. You know, they may move. They may relocate this team before they get another player as good as Zion Williamson, truly. So they don't want to mess around with this. An, in an injury-plagued guy who may or may not want to be on the same court as their players, I to me, it's already gone. It's a foregone conclusion based on all of these hidden clues. 
the treasure hunt to me comes down to we're going to extend you you're going to play sparingly if at all and whenever that poison pill situation dissipates we're going to move you for whatever package we can bring back at 31 million and change and a boatload of draft picks and we know how, we know what to do with that at that point that's how the pelicans operate so it's unfortunate i hope i'm wrong I hope he gets in front of a microphone in the next couple of days or on Instagram and says all the right things and says, hey, sorry I've been gone. This physical stuff has been killing me. I don't know the right process. The doctors have been giving me mixed things. I'm just trying to figure this what's out for best for me. And when I can fix myself, I can get back to being a great team player and, and help the Pelicans win. But that hasn't been said. And it's been forever. And the deadlines are skeevy. And the medical information we get is skeevy and the Pelicans don't even know the right things to say anymore. So this is where I am now. And I've been reading these kind of things for a bunch of years. This is where I am. And I hope I'm wrong. But I fully expect there to be a sparse amount of Zion Williamson on the court, plus an extension, plus an eventual trade. And it's business as usual for the New York Pel- New Orleans Pelicans. Let's talk some football definitions. All right, the 2022 NFL offseason is here. Plenty of moves already in the, in the books. Dozens more to come. The first conversation I want to have quickly is the issue of the voiding contract. Uh, we've talked void years a couple of shows ago, and I kind of broke down how they work from an active contract standpoint. But I'm going to take uh, Rob Gronkowski here, who, whose contract just voided with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers which, by the way, leads me to believe he will not be back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'll explain why. The void, I I got an email the other day, which I responded to, um, because the email basically said, look, why are these void year players still on active rosters? And it's a great question. You know, they show up as orange on spot track. It's a void year. It's essentially a dead cap figure. But my, my response to that email was, until the contract actually voids, I'm, good, I'm giving you the worst case scenario in terms of dead cap that will accelerate because in Rob Gronkowski's standpoint, he had a $6.25 million signing bonus last year that with the void years prorated at $1.25 million per year. It, over five years. Last year plus four void years. If they had extended him before Monday, that proration could have remained spread out. So whatever 2022 salary they give him, let's say $8 million, would have been factored into the $1.25 million of proration for this year, and he would have had a $9.25 million cap hit. Versus the contract voided Monday, all of the void years accelerate to this year, and Tampa Bay now sits with a $5 million dead cap hit. So instead of that being spread out over you know, four years possible here, it accelerated into this year. Contract is dead. It's inactive. It's voided. There's $5 million of dead cap. If they bring him back, it's on a brand new contract in addition to that dead cap hit now. So that's what happens when you're seeing a lot of reports of these contracts have officially voided. You take all the future void years, accelerate all that dead cap, and it lives in the current year of the void. Okay? So that's what happens here. There's a very hard date for all of these contracts that have to be built into a void year. If there's, so there's two conditions here. So everything I just said there 
is applicable to a true void dummy year. There's a different version of this, and we saw that recently with Dante Fowler Jr. in Atlanta. It's possible to build in void years that have actual salaries, which are actually real contract years. You know what I mean? So if you see a contract that has 8 million, 9 million, 10 million, 11 million, and then in the final year of the contract, it's a $30 million base salary. That is a, air quotes, real contract year that is being considered a dummy void year, right? It's there just to allow the bonus to spread out five years, but by giving it a salary and a ridiculous salary, right? The second he is released, he has to officially be released by the team out of that final year, which Fowler was. Fowler had a $25 million base salary this year. When they released him a couple of days ago, that's about a week ago now, he becomes a street free agent, which means he can now sign with anybody right now. He could have signed with anybody last Thursday immediately because he was released out of an actual act, active contract. Okay. Now, Rob Gronkowski, his 2022 year was a true void year. The only kind of finances he had in it was the proration from the signing bonus. There was no fake base salary. There was no whatever. So the second it voids on Monday, it voids, but he is not eligible to sign until March 16th because technically speaking, he was not released out of an active contract. His contract automatically voided. It was, a, it was an automatic process. And he now has to wait, with, like the rest of the free agents, until March 16th to sign somewhere else. So that's, that's the difference. So if you see a contract that's got a ridiculous number, maybe one or two years of the contract, have just silly numbers in them, this is why. This is why. The player and the agent have worked out a situation where, look, We'll let, you, we'll let you tack on those years, but make them real. Make them count so that when you cut bait in the middle of February for your cap purposes, I can start doing my shopping immediately before everybody else does, before everybody else can start like on March 14th this year. So there's an advantage to having something like that. So that's the difference between the two different kinds of voids you might see. One is an actual release out of, out of, a, out of a, a real contract year, and one is an automatic void that just precedes the free agent um, market. Okay. Speaking of free agency, I know most of you probably, probably know this. I want to go through kind of the details of this. An unrestricted free agent, a UFA, any player who has four or more accrued seasons and the contract expires. So certainly Rob Gronkowski, um, any of those players, those, those veteran players, but at least four accrued seasons. What does an accrued season mean? Okay. <laughs> In order for a player to accrue a season, that player must be on full pay status, so active or injured but paid, for at least six regular season games in a given season. Okay. That player also must report to training camp, must report must report to all the off-season workouts that apply based on contractual obligation. Okay? So there's some conditions where a player could be active, but because of some nonsense, doesn't accrue the season. It's very rare. Accruing seasons is extremely important. You want to get out of restricted free agency and into UFA as quickly as possible. All right? Accredited season, which counts toward player benefits, 
in order to get a credited season, which is different from accrued, it's three games. Full pay status for three games. So a lot of players that bounce up and down, they do get their credited season. And if you get enough of those, and, and you know, 10 is the big number where you get your big time, your big time benefits after retirement. That kind of thing really, really matters, especially for your non-superstar players. So following the accredited seasons, following the accrued seasons, important for different reasons. But in terms of free agency, UFA's four or more accrued season. Restricted free agents, three accrued seasons and an expired contract. So Deontay Harris in New Orleans, three seasons accrued, restricted free agency. Offer sheets can come in. These restricted free agents can be tendered at various levels. Okay. There's a first round tender, which means if you want to slap an offer sheet on this player and that player accepts your offer sheet and the team does not match it, you have to give up your first round pick. Okay. Uh, we do not see those much, if at all. Same deal with a second round tender. Okay. And I do have some projections in terms of what these will cost this year. So, we're projecting that that first round tender should be about 5.4 million this year. The second round tender just under 4 million. And that's going to be the one that gets utilized quite a bit. It's about 3.9 million. You're going to see quite a few of those. From there, it goes down to the original round. So a player drafted in the fourth round. Originally, that's the compensation should an offer sheet be matched. That goes all the way from, you know, one to seven. Then. So we see that a decent amount. And then there's simply one called the right of first refusal. So it's, you know, around the 2.4 million mark this year. That'll get used a lot. And basically is we'd like to keep this player at the lowest tender possible, but that's, that player still has the right to go and match and, and sign an offer sheet if one exists. There's no compensation. You know, there's no draft compensation. So there's a chance we'll lose you. But we... uh we want to at least give it a shot. You'll see quite a bit of that too. So 2.4 million, the original draft round. So if there's a sixth rounder that somebody wants to keep, and there's a few of them out there, that's about 2.5 million. Second round tenders, again, popular, about 3.9 million. And first round tenders, very rare, but usually one or two per year, 5.4 million this year. So that's the deal with restricted free agency. It's uh, underutilized, in my opinion, in this, in this sport. And uh, I think both the NFL and the NBA could really get a, a little bit more into this uh, this part of the conversation, especially with you know the draft maybe being not as impressive this year for some positions. Exclusive rights free agents, the ERFA, less than three accrued seasons, contract has expired. Basically, the the teams have the right to just tack on a one year minimum contract. That's really what's going to happen here. So if you've got an ERFA, don't freak out. You're not going to lose this player unless the team wants to rescind the rescind the rights to this player. And we do see quite a bit of that, but it's a minimum contract for the next year coming up. Speaking of which, the minimum salaries for 2022, very quickly. $705,000 for your bare bones rookie, zero years of service. Jumps up to 825, 895,000 for that third year. 965000 for that fourth year. Everybody else is making over a million dollars on their minimum salary, four years plus. 
So it's taken a good step with this last CBA. And by the way, as baseball goes through this, you know, the fact that, that football rosters, 90 offseason players and 53 to 55 players plus injured, you know, reserve players and still has a salary that is being, that is currently higher than what's being proposed at the minimum for major league baseball is crazy. That's the difference between the two sports right now, double the players and still more money in the NFL in terms of what the bare bones, zero experience player can make. So baseball's got some work to do over there, but that's a different conversation for sure. Okay. That's accrued seasons. That's free agency. Let's quickly flip to the tag stuff because that, that window is now open. The majority of the franchise, franchise tags, if not all of the franchise tags, you're going to see this offseason come in the non-exclusive way. Basically, this means, okay, we've slapped a non-exclusive tag on you. We want to keep you. We want to work towards an extension. Maybe you want to keep you on this tag, but other teams can come in and poach. Other teams can come in and say, we want to negotiate a contract with you similar to the restricted free agent offer sheet. There is a matching process. Let's say Devontae Adams get a, gets a non-exclusive $20 million tag from Green Bay, which I expect over the next couple of days. Let's also say that the Raiders come in with five for 150. <laughs> okay. Green Bay has five days to match the offer. The second that the offer is submitted, five days to match it. If they don't, the Raiders get their player, but they forfeit two first-round picks. So it's a big deal. It hasn't happened in forever. It's a big deal. But there's a very good chance with a player like Devontae Adams that this happens, especially if Aaron Rodgers bolts. There's a very good chance for this. So something to keep an eye on for sure. I would say 100% of these tags are going to be non-exclusive. So that means they'll be up for negotiation. If somebody wants to negotiate with J.C. Jackson, if he gets tagged by the New England Patriots, that's how this stuff works. It has nothing to do with position. If you can offer sheet a kicker on a franchise tag, it'll cost you two first-round picks. So that's not going to happen. But that's where we live right now. The exclusive tag costs more. There's a higher calculation to how those, those values are put together. But it makes it exclusive. It takes away the negotiation part of it. So, you know, in a world where Green Bay is dying to keep Devontae Adams and they don't think they'll be able to extend him, Going the exclusive route might be the better option here. Now, they may not think so, right? They may think, look, we'll keep him on the 20. We'll take the chance that somebody goes and, and offers him a crazy offer sheet that we simply can't match. And we'll be just thrilled with our two first-round picks. That's very possible here. But it, it makes the next couple of weeks in Green Bay even more fascinating, in my opinion, because to me, those options are on the table here. So uh, this is the kind of stuff that I, I, I want us all to kind of understand together because. This could happen really quickly. If you guys remember, you know, any kind of first hour of free agency in that new league year, Adam Schefter and those guys are pounding tweets away with information that they've known for two and a half days that they, you know, technically should not be unleashing until 4 p.m. Eastern, March 16th. So this stuff might come fast, right? A crap, a Kyler Murray trade could sneak in there with whatever happens with Rodgers, with what happens with Devontae Adams. So, you know, if, if you're understanding that that, Devontae Adams is bringing a tag into March 16th and all of a sudden the Raiders acquire him. This is where we are. This is where we are right now. Now keep in mind, there's a difference between trading for a player on a tag and offer sheeting a player on a tag. Okay. The example I gave you with Las Vegas, 
There's a contract offer sheet. The Packers did not match it. So the two first round picks automatically vest to Green Bay. The reason that doesn't happen is, generally speaking, the two teams just work out a straight trade. All right, we'll take your traded player on March 16th or after March 16th when you're allowed to trade for somebody. Let's work out a deal that does not have to give these two first round picks. Let's make it a first and two seconds or whatever it's going to be to, to lighten the load a little bit. And maybe we send a player back in that deal, right? But that's the route we've seen more and more is a tag and trade. I would expect a few of those this offseason. I would expect it for sure. You know, maybe a Dalton Schultz, maybe a Randy Gregory. Certainly, maybe a Devontae Adams here. Maybe a Cam Robinson out of Jacksonville. So, difference between an offer sheet and a trade. The offer sheet has baked-in compensation. A trade can be negotiated as necessary. So, much freer, much more open in terms of that transaction. The transition tag. A smaller value, basically the fifth-year option, the maximum fifth-year option for the most part. Okay. Offer sheets can happen. We have seen transition tag offer sheets. This is where you're going to see most of your running backs live from now on. I don't think a running back is ever going to get a true franchise tag anymore because the transition tag exists. There is an offer sheet available. There is no draft pick compensation. So it's basically like we don't, we don't really want to sign this player, but if somebody else does try to multi-year sign this player, if we like the contract, we'll match it. If we don't, we'll let you walk. Um, it's kind of a a soft way to have a player get to free agency, okay? Because generally what happens is you get to that point, the transition tag's a smaller value, and they do work out a trade instead of the offer sheet. So again, it always comes down to the trade. It's why I've been saying more and more over the past couple of weeks, I think the NFL is going to have more trades this year than ever, and I think it's going to be a trend that continues to go because there's just a lot of reasons to do it, not because the Rams just won the Super Bowl, right? This has been happening now for years. It's been escalating. The trade deadline's been better every year. And certainly the offseason stuff's been better. Trades dominate free agency out of the gate. You're going to see three or four big trades come forward on both sides of the ball that I think are going to take most of the major contract signings and just push those down the line. Nobody's going to care what Chandler Jones gets in free agency after we see some of these trades process. It's just how it works right now. So um, I expect it. I expect it. So why is... Devonte Adams a bigger franchise tag value than Chris Gar excuse, not, excuse me Mike Williams would be if I'm telling you Mike Williams is 18.5 million as a franchise tag and Devonte Adams is 20 million because it's the greater of two things a the actual franchise tag value for that position from the NFL so we project it to be at 18.5 million for the wide receiver or 120 percent of what you made last year your cap figure last year. So when doing the math on Devontae Adams, 120% of what he did last year equates to 20.1 million. So because that's greater, that is now his franchise tag value. Mike Williams does not have that case, so he will revert to what the league value is, 18.5 million. The only other way that would change is, is if it's a second franchise tag. So for Cam Robinson, for instance, he was on a franchise tag last year. You automatically take 120% of that and make it a second franchise tag for this year. If it would be in third tag, it'd be 140% of that second tag, which gets absurd for most cases. So we haven't seen that yet. But that's how that works. So if there's a variance in values that you're seeing out there, that's probably why. Something is wonky with 
100, the 120% rule versus what the actual franchise tag value is this year. Okay, a couple of contract things, then I'll get you out of here. The renegotiations and the restructures. We had a good one today in Kenny Clark, one I anticipated with the Green Bay Packers, who still remain, I think, like 37 and change over at the time of this con- at the time of this podcast. But he did restructure not only his base salary, but his roster bonus as well. He did not lose any cash in this process. I can't say this enough every single year. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes a pay cut is involved in a restructure. Sometimes a pay escalator is involved in a restructure. Julio Jones, Xavier Howard if it's more of a holdout situation. But for the most part, it's just a cap move. It's our team needs cap space. Either the contract already says we are going to restructure you at this point in time, or the team has reached out to the agent player and said, look, we need some room. We're just going to flip some things around here. You guys good with this. That's just become the norm now. Most of the times it's written into the contract that at any point in time, this contract can be base salary restructured. So what happened today is Kenny Clark had, I think, about an $8.5 million base salary, 8.25 around there. The Packers said, we'll take all but $1 million of it, the minimum salary for this year, and we'll take that $6.4 million roster bonus, and we'll make that one big signing bonus for you, cash in hand, good for the player. Then we're going to take that $13 million in change, and we're going to prorate it for cap purposes over the next five years. Now, he only had three years left in his contract. So they had to add two void years in through 2026. So there's three years left plus two void years. So that 13 million now becomes 2.7 million in each of the next five seasons. So he lowered almost $11 million of cap today for the, for the Green Bay Packers who need plenty more of that. So you're going to start seeing this by the dozens with teams like the Rams and the Saints and the Eagles and the, and the Packers and the Cowboys and a quite a few other teams who are the Vikings who are kind of under the under it right now. But this is the way it goes, especially with a 2023 salary cap that should explode up near 230. It's a lot of don't need it now, can use it later situations, push it down the line. But this is what 99.9% of those restructures are going to look like. Sometimes it's just the roster bonus that gets moved. Patrick Mahomes has been an example of that. Gigantic roster bonus. Turn it into a signing bonus, spread it over five years, save your team a ton of cap space you still get all the same cash in hand. Sometimes it's just the base salary. Sometimes it's everything. Sometimes it's all the base salary down to the minimum, all the roster bonus, the per game bonus, the workout bonus, whatever we can take, we're going to restructure. You're going to see that with the Saints. Okay, well, Whatever's available in terms of cash, they're going to take it, they're going to convert it, and they're going to push it down the line because they need every dollar possible right now, as per usual in New Orleans. So it, it's not as cut and dry as, oh, we're just going to change this, the base salary or we're just going to do that roster bonus. Every single restructure you see is going to be different. And you'll see a bunch of reports about it. And we're going to do our best in our transactions with a player to detail everything that happened. You know, these three things were, were, were converted into a signing bonus. Two void years were added. That's why it looks like it looks. That's why the math is what it is. And this much cap was saved for that team in 2022. So we'll do our best to tell that story both on Twitter, in some articles, on these pods, and in the player pages themselves. But it's not as easy as all of them happen this way or, you know, the player always keeps the same cash flow. Sometimes that changes. 
not it's not often. Um, and look, there's also a difference between what a restructure is and what a pay cut is. And you're going to see a bunch of those. Some veterans who maybe are a little bit overpaid right now, and they just have to take one or two million off their base salary. They got to throw their roster bonus out the window or something like that. Converted into incentives they can make back based on production and playing time. That happens quite a bit. That's not a restructure. It is contractually speaking behind the scenes, but that player is actually losing cash and taking cap away at the same time. You know, there's generally not a conversion to a bonus. There's no void years in that plan. It's just, we got to lower your base salary because we think you're overpaid right now. We want to keep you. We, wa- we think you want to be here. Let's take 2 million of your base salary, turn it into bonus in- incentives that come off of our salary cap table. And hopefully we, everybody makes it back in the end. And we're all happy. Speaking of which, my last point, Odo Beckham Jr. earns an extra, I believe, three and a half million. I'm going to look right now because I don't want to screw this up. He had a bunch of bonuses built into his Rams contract last year, that one-year deal. So it's exactly three million of, of bonus that was earned with playoffs. Every single round, he earned some cash. Super Bowl win, he earned a million dollars. So he got himself an extra three million which was obviously not likely at the time because it wasn't likely that the Rams were going to win the Super Bowl. So he had an initial cap hit of $850,000, but he ended up earning $4.25 million. So what happens, you know, how do the Rams own up to that extra surplus in terms of the cap? Very, very soon, you're going to see the league and the NFLPA release the adjusted salary caps for every single team in football. This is part of that. There's adjustments for a lot of things, right? Per game roster bonuses that were assumed at the, at the start of the season but didn't pan out, right? An injury took him away six, for six weeks. He didn't get paid those actual dollars. The team gets a cap credit in that case because it's cap they took on in 2021 that actually didn't get utilized. So they get a, a credit for 2022. In, Od- in Odell Beckham Jr.'s case, the Rams are going to have to take on, you know, a $3 million cap hit adjustment for his bonuses earned in the playoffs. It wasn't accounted for in 2021, but it happened. So it's got to be accounted for in 2022. So there's a variety of adjustments that are made up and down based on player bonuses and things like that, that the team has to eat crow for in in the very next season. So when you see the 32 different adjusted salary caps, this is why there's rollover cap from 2021 unused salary cap that, that the team gets to use in, in the following year. And then there's these little tinkerings, these adjustments. In some cases, they're big like this, that affect the, the team's ability to spend in 2022. So the Rams are going to have a bunch of that with Whitworth and Beckham that uh, knocks down their $208 million cap to a lower standpoint, you know, closer to $200 million for the Rams because of good things that happen that cost money. So Keep an eye out for that soon. That's going to happen. And that's something we try to account for every single week with incentives that are met, per game bonuses that are met. Um, that's, that's the little nickel and dime adjustments that factor into not just the current, but the future salary cap for any given team. So that's coming. All right, that's enough for today. I'm going to do this again soon. There's plenty more to get to. I can do. I did a dead money piece. I did a void year piece. And I did some free agent stuff today. Um, I think I'll, I'll dive deeper into the contract next time. Okay, so all the various things, the option bonus and some, and some roster bonuses, what happens when those are fully guaranteed. Talk about those trigger dates in terms of guarantees, but I'll save that for a different show. But please, if you have any questions, any suggestions, any recommendations, uh, things you just don't understand, 
or uh, things you want to learn a little bit more about, uh, throw it at me at Spot Trick on Twitter. I, I, I love doing these kind of educational things because, it, again, it keeps me close to this stuff as much as possible. And uh, I like answering questions as well. So hit me up at Spot Trick on Twitter, and we will continue these kind of pieces alongside the off-season pieces, of which, by the way, we've got a Rams, a Saints, and now a Chiefs deep dive into their 2022 cap in terms of uncovering some cap space. I was able to locate about $77 million for those Chiefs, uh, eight of which have already been uncovered in Anthony Hitchens' release. But you know, those are the teams that I really feel are, are going to need some more help. I did a Packers piece with Matt Steinman from The Athletic, um, of which that Kenny Clark restructure was a part of as well. So that's step one, I think, for what could be a very busy offseason in Green Bay. And then I also put up a piece, 15 quarterbacks who at least have some sort of trade you know, rumor surrounding them. And I put down all the financials for them. I put down what I think will happen most likely. And then also what I guess could happen, right? The, the 49ers could keep Jimmy Garoppolo and here's what happens financially if they do. So there's 15 really notable names. That's on, to- on the top of spotrack.com right now in, in as much detail as possible. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.